Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out numaoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery elevating the archery experience take a test drive with the matthews v3 31 or 27 at a local dealer near you vortex optics i've been partnered with vortex since 2010 this company is awesome they're american owned veteran owned they're based in wisconsin their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics accessories and apparel most of the apparel that i wear while training scouting and hanging out around the house is vortex wear go ahead and check it out and if you want to save 20 percent, enter the discount code elk shape at checkout and you'll save 20 percent. new from vortex in 2021 is their tripods the one i've been using in the backcountry is their summit carbon tube and their radiant carbon and it also has a ball leveling head and it's perfect for rock solid shooting there is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at vortexoptics.com. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. This is part two of our September elk hunting recap. This one's definitely a little bit more juicy. I think you're going to dig it. I will apologize right now. We recorded this podcast while driving on I-15 and I-90 all the way back from New Mexico to beautiful Spokane, Washington. So you're going to hear a background noise. I tried to reduce it and post a little bit. Uh, but I think the context, the actual stuff we're talking about, uh, is worth the listen. 
And so this wasn't performed in the studio. This was in my truck driving. So you're going to hear some background noise. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think uh, the meat and potatoes of the podcast is super important. So here's uh, kind of my pre-podcast uh, introduction. I, for one, am not the type of person to be walked on. And when I see something that is wrong and something that's unethical, something that upsets me, I'll talk about it and I'll put light on it. And I think that the power of this podcast, social media, YouTube, some of our platforms, I think, you know, you done messed up. You definitely bullied the wrong public land elk hunter who just happens to have some platforms and is going to make some noise about what happened. So buckle up. We experienced some pretty crappy, wrong, corruptive, just behavior in a unit that honestly can't even afford to have this kind of stuff go on. So we're talking about low-flying aircraft, helicopters, and little Cessnas that are flying over a unit to either locate elk or push elk onto private. That's a whole another podcast in itself. Uh, we're talking about public land bullies. We're talking about an outfitter interfering with people's hunts and trying to convince them that they're on private property when they're not and threatening for arrests, threatening for footage. We saw people pushing elk onto private on foot that weren't hunting, that were just, their job was to push elk on back onto the private land. Uh, A lot of this was filmed. A lot of this footage has been sent to fishing game per their request. Investigation is open, and I hope that this podcast doesn't interfere with that, but I'm definitely going to shine the light on what we experienced. I did a little story on Instagram, and I gave a little cliffhanger saying, hey, your day's coming. We got you. Like, like this isn't just going to go away or be swept under the rug. And so today's podcast, I'm going to sit down as we're driving with Jake Webb. He's... uh, my hunting partner, he's filmed a lot of my hunts for YouTube. He, uh, he was elk hunting with me in New Mexico. Also, Hunter McWaters was my cameraman. He's from Virginia. Uh, he had never been on an elk hunt before, so this was his first experience. Really, like, takeaways, like, we're going to definitely divulge the unit. I'm, I apologize, like, but I really, there's nothing that I'm, uh, there's nothing really to put on blast on this unit. Like, I'm not, uh, if this is where you hunt, uh, you should probably rethink where you hunt for elk hunting. Uh, If it's only place you know, I'm sorry, but I don't think, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing in this instance to shine a light on the unit number. Um, And even if I didn't say the unit number, I I promise you folks can look up the landowners, look up the outfits, look up the things that I talk about and figure it out anyways. They're not dumb. Without further ado, this is the elk cartel podcast where we're going to break down what we experienced in New Mexico and why I'm doing this is I don't want anyone else to have this happen to them or or to the people that I saw it happen to and I'm just going to take a stand and this is the second year in a row I have filmed some stuff that is just like distasteful and it's not hunting and I've had to talk to game wardens and I'm tired of it I just want to go elk hunting Uh, I just want things to be normal. 
Uh, but there is an underbelly to New Mexico. Anytime you have over 50% of the elk tags go to private landowners and they can sell those off and the people can broker those and, and there's big money involved and uh, people are paying lots of money to come hunt these elk and to get these tags and to be with these outfitters and to all that kind of stuff, man. Like it's a black market, if you will. I don't like it. I I don't even understand a lot of the landowner tag philosophy maybe i'll get somebody from mexico fishing game to explain why so many landowners get tags and then why is it like not really regulated and then the outfitters that are in business there's always always a bad apple like i would say most outfitters are super legit hard working doing a job that's very thankless and they do you know it's a lifestyle it's not like a dollar chasing thing but then you have some outfitters that are chasing dollars and will do anything to make as much money as possible off this natural resource our resource everyone's resource so um, that's this podcast we're going to get right into it if you have any questions reach out i appreciate your support without further ado this is me and jake talking about the hunt on the way home elk shape podcast with me dan the fitness man gotta say it's been a while since i've done a podcast uh we are in my truck we're heading home after a pretty long elk bender this is gonna be the new mexico recap we've already covered antelope hunting as well as early season elk and then obviously going back to idaho uh and what that experience was like but this is all about the new mexico joining me driving my beautiful precious truck is none other than my main man jake webb what's up jake how's it going uh running off four hours of sleep in a truck the night before four hours of sleep and the night before that four hours of sleep so we'll get into all that here we go um this podcast is brought to you by hard work, delayed gratification, and elk hunting as a lifestyle. This podcast is about making yourself better and leveraging elk hunting so that you can be disciplined in your day-to-day, in your work life, in your faith life, in your family life. So basically, this podcast helps you get your shit together uh, and, and do it in the name of better elk hunting. So Jake, for those that haven't heard Jake on the podcast before, he's been on quite a few. He hangs out. He hangs around with me. I don't know why. Um, I'm hard to be around, but he seems to put up with me. I haven't made you mad yet. At least I've never seen you get mad at me, which is that day's got to be coming because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm rough around the edges and I'm pretty hard charging. But so I'll set the stage, Jake, chime in whenever. Um, I struck out in Wyoming and Montana for getting tags this year. Uh, I always buy a Washington State elk tag just so I can put in for the draws. Uh, and I never hunt Washington, so that's off the table. Oregon was going to be my backup plan. I did not draw Utah. I did not draw Colorado. I did not draw New Mexico. I did not draw Arizona. Uh, I can't even put in for Nevada. So my first choice was, all right, I guess I'll maybe try to get a second elk tag in Idaho. Those were all sold out. So I'm sitting here with one Idaho elk tag and all of September off. I'm like, Okay, I either need to find someone I can call for or film, maybe my dad or a friend or whatever. Um, and then my buddy's a guide in New Mexico and he's like, hey, I seen some landowner tags for this unit. Uh, it used to be a premier unit. You might be able to do okay in there and they're really cheap. So, uh, spoiler alert, 
send me an email if you're upset that I'm gonna drop the unit number. And you're gonna know why once you watch our full YouTube series on this hunt. But basically we, we'll get into it, but we're gonna say the unit because we're basically trying to put one of the two main outfitters on blast, if not both of them on blast for all the shenanigans that they do there. And by shenanigans, I mean unethical and illegal activities that they do, we caught on camera and um, we're gonna expose them. So it should get juicy. Uh, so unit nine, it used to be a great unit, it used to have 5,000 elk in it. Um, not sure if it's due to ranching conflicts with so many elk and the cattle taking precedent, but basically we're talking about a unit that used to be top notch. I have a personal friend who lives right outside the unit who's killed a 360, a 340, and a dozen other bulls in this unit in the last two decades. And he helped me like try to like figure out, actually his name's James, I wanna give him a shout out because he was such a good dude. But James, you gave me too many things to check out. If you look at my Onyx after the hunt, there's not one stone left unturned. Yeah, we were everywhere in that unit. I put 500 miles on my truck and probably a thousand miles, a thousand miles on my four-wheeler, easily. So we hit it hard. It was a challenging hunt, it's a tough hunt, and it was a cheap landowner tag. I call it a blue collar landowner tag. And let me explain that. Everybody's elk hunting budget is different when it comes to budgeting their time and how much time they can allocate towards hunting. And I am very, very wealthy when it comes to elk hunting time. I've made my life in a way that I can go elk hunt a lot, like as in the whole month and not get divorced. The biggest obstacle for me is missing my family. It's not bad weather, other hunters missing, not finding elk, it's missing my family. That's the that's my obstacle for September. But anyways, the tags were 1200 bucks a piece. And at the time, the guy had two tags and I'd never bought a landowner tag before. And I gotta tell you guys, it is shady. It's a Craigslist ad that I text and said, are these tags available? The guy responds, says, you're the first one to respond. Yes, they are. And then I said, okay, let me talk to my buddy. And so I called John Gabriel, my basically business partner at the Elk Collective. And I was like, hey, I know you haven't got any Elk tags either. Do you want to try this crap unit and see if we can turn lemons into lemonade? At least we'll be Elk hunting. And the guy who runs the Elk Collective social media, Nick Nay, drew a Eastern Washington special tag. And that's John's good buddy. So John's like, man, I, I, I told Nick I'd film him if he ever drew. So I'm going to film that. I can't make those dates. And then so I tried to trade the tag, the extra tag I bought with Drew, a buddy Drew, who did the electrical work on my shop, my gym. I was like, hey, do you want an elk tag as part of the payment? And he had too many elk tags already. He had Utah, Oregon, Montana, and he just couldn't swing a fourth tag, which I don't blame him. And then I was like, well, I'm just gonna sell this tag probably for two, like make a profit, sell it for two grand because people are going to get pretty desperate. And I mentioned to you that I had the tag and you're like, I'll take it. I don't have an elk tag. I'll take it. So uh, I sold it to you for $3,000. Yeah, I was kind of in the same I'm boat. joking. I didn't. I sold I, uh, it. No, I didn't pay three grand for it. I, I sold it to him the same price I did. But I didn't draw Montana either. So um, 
that's like my go-to. I love hunting Montana. Yeah, and you didn't get an Idaho tag on December 1st. You were like, tagless. Tagless in Seattle, actually Spokane. So here's how that works for those who never bought a landowner tag. Like this guy asked me to Venmo him $2,400 for two tags. And I'm like, okay, and then what happens? He's like, then I'll give you two codes and then you log on to New Mexico Fishing Game under this specifics tab and you enter your code and you can buy your tag right then and there. And I'm like, well, how do I know these codes are gonna work and you don't just walk away $2,400? And so he began to like tell me who he was and who he worked for and basically he just works for a guy who scoops up a bunch of landowner tags. Um, and so I was like, you know what? You caught me at a pretty desperate situation. I'll take him. I Venmoed him the 2400 bucks, and I entered my code and it worked. And I got to pick, actually, I got to pick between season one, which is the first through the 14th, or season two, the 15th through the 24th archery. And I knew I was gonna be in Idaho for the opener August 30th, so I was like, okay, I'll do the second one. And then I had to buy my elk tag on top of that, which was like another 600 bucks. So it was total $1,800, and I am doing what I would call a blue collar uh, landowner tag program. I really don't have the ability to buy like a unit 16, like the Gila, for at least $10,000, if not more, for a landowner tag. Uh, and then a lot of those landowner tags are ranch only, so you have to hire the outfitter with it so you can add another five grand to your total or whatever. And so we knew this was like a do-it-yourself public land, unit-wide landowner tag. Now landowner tags are either unit-wide, so you can hunt the entire unit, including the landowner who sold you the tag. And I didn't even look to see who the, the landowner was who sold us the tag. I didn't care. Like, I didn't, I, it didn't matter to me. I wanted to hunt public land. But typically, that's how that works. Or if you get a ranch-only tag, you can only hunt the ranch at which received the tags. And the underbelly of the New Mexico Game and Fish, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, you don't have to agree with it. I, I actually don't really care what your opinion is either. I'm just stating what mine is take it or leave it or start your own podcast this landowner tag system is bullshit it is so rigged it is it just it breeds greed and corruption and you have people bartering and like maneuvering to get these landowner tags and like in case in point my buddy jason who guides in 16 i'm not going to say which one the guide he the outfit he works for the guy gets 50 landowner tags for their ranch. Guess how many he actually sells? But 20. Yeah. He is trying to sustain the elk numbers for for his business. He's not greedy and like, okay, let's get all 50 tags. Let's do like this many archery, this many muzzy, this many rifle. Yeah. He's like less than half the tags and he could sell all of them for at least 10 grand each because it's Gila tags. He doesn't do that. Honestly, though, like me, like I, I tip my hat to that kind of a person because he realized that there's an issue. He realizes it's he a resource. Want, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to just make a bunch of money one year. He wants to make that last. But he realizes, you know, the longevity of his business. There is some shady shit that goes down in the southwest when it comes to elk hunting. And I'm sure there's some up north. But I'm just saying, from my view, from my lens, I'm seeing some weird stuff. I've heard the rumors, 
And I didn't think there was any outfitters in our unit because it's such a well-known crap unit as far as just elk densities are pathetically low. So probably should have found this out before the hunt, but our unit is surrounded by private, like 360, by New Mexico's largest landowner, Mr. Floyd Lee himself. He owns the entire unit, pretty much. And he leases all the National Forest State in there for cattle grazing rights. So he basically gets all his cows, all his cattle on state national land, our, all our land, they eat that grass. And then it seems like all the elk go on to his land. I don't like that, but it is what it is. We didn't know any of this going into the hunt. Um, there's another landowner there that gets landowner tags. There's several, but Elkins is a big, well-known outfit. I think it's Lobo Outfitters. And I don't know if they're doing shady stuff, but I think the Elkins property owns, somebody owns helicopters. So the two outfitters that we know of in this in this unit are United States Outfitters, and we'll get into George Tallman, the owner, and um, if you're ever bored and you need to Google, Google George Tallman, T-A-U-L, M-A-N, I believe that's how you spell his name. Yeah, Google that caricature and just take a wild ride on all the shenanigans. Uh, So USO already has a horrible reputation. Read some internet forums. Um, I've heard of this stuff, but I I didn't know USO was there. And they operate across the, you know, they have outfits all over all the states. Um, And if you think I'm bad mouthing, you, you know, USO and defamation, I am. Don't get, it, don't get it twisted as we get into this story. I will be straightforward because um, I'm the kind of guy, I wouldn't say you don't want to cross me. I just say you, if you do cross me, don't be surprised that I will publicly like show what happened. Um, so, and I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. But what happened in New Mexico is ridiculous. So we know this unit's going to be tough and challenging, but hey man, we're elk hunting and hopefully they bugle and hopefully there's some elk there. Day one, we, so we got the bull meat dropped off in Utah, in Salt Lake, out of, what's that town? Right by your sister's place? Starts with a D. Draper. Is it Draper? There's a, there's a wild game only butchering place there. They're, they seem to be phenomenal because they wanted my meat to hang for two weeks, which is what I would do. If I had the opportunity to go home, I have a cooler, I'd, a walk-in cooler, I'd hang it for two weeks. They say, we hang it for two weeks, we'll butcher it however you want, and then if you can't pick it up, we'll ship, we'll freeze it and ship it to you. I'm like, done deal. So they're butchering my meat, and um, we stopped at your sister's house after the idol hunt, did laundry, she fed us, she was so hospitable, God bless her. And then we, um, we were a day late picking up the cameraman, because of, of some other stuff. And um, so Hunter McWaters, a guy I've never met, he messaged me that he was a videographer professionally. He sent me his resume, it was legit AF, and I was like, uh, he does CrossFit, and he seemed like he was a very ambitious go-getter, and I said, all right, man, let's try to make it work. I hired him. 
So I sent him a text, said, hey man, you're gonna have, uh, I got some bad news, you need to book a room. We're not gonna be there till the next day. So we picked him up on the opener in the morning from his hotel. He was cool about staying an extra day and, and we picked him up. Never met him before and kind of got to know him as we drove to the unit. And we rolled in there and met up with my buddy James who was hunting a nearby unit, which by the way, he killed a 320 bull on day four. Good job, James. And we hang out with James and his dad, who's like 81, yeah. 81 years old and, and hunts with his son. His son was doing 10 miles in the morning, five miles in the evening, and his dad was keeping up. And I believe it, because I met his dad. And his dad is 81 going on 50. Guy was incredible. Yeah, he's, he's a really awesome guy. I mean, we walk into his house and they start telling us like everything in their house, like China hutch, tables, everything on the walls like he made like from wood custom Everything metal inside those four walls is custom made by him yeah. all the furniture and decorations uh incredible so those guys kind of lined us out on kind of how to attack the unit we set up camp and then for whatever reason you went where you went and i went where i went because i wanted to go to the furthest part of the the, the unit that had the least roads and I wanted to go just scratch that itch. So we had time for an evening hunt, really just a glass sesh, bugle sesh. Um, I didn't see anything. I went 45 miles one way on my, uh, I almost ran out of gas. And poor Hunter on the back of my four-wheeler. Just the whole time we're there, the dude's on the back of my four-wheeler, that's a tiny four-wheeler meant for one person, and he's riding on the rack. And it's the rockiest roads you've ever seen. And he actually showed me his butt crack <laughs> four days later. And he had uh, ass rash all over from riding on the floor. We'll get into that. But uh, um, while we're talking about Hunter, we're going to do a podcast together because I want to get his perspective of hunting with elk shape and, and what that was like for him coming out west, going from zero feet elevation to we hung out between ten and 11,000 feet for nine days. And he never really, he never faltered. Um, I'd say his strengths as a cameraman was phenomenal videographer when it comes to using DSLRs. That's a lot of manual focus. That's a lot of manual, you know, shooting, adjusting your ISO. You don't mess with your shutter speed unless you're, you know, you, you're, you're keeping your shutter the same because frames per second needs to stay standard. And we were shooting 4K 20, 24 frames or 30, I can't remember, maybe 30. Um, he had all the batteries, all the mics. I never had, he didn't have to swap lenses. He, he was on, he was, he was dialed and I was always confident he was going to get the shot. He was always on time. Like I told him, always have your pack ready to go in the mornings. If you need more time, wake up before me and make sure, cause I don't spend a lot of time at camp in the morning. I literally wake up, make oatmeal, drink coffee, try to take a deuce and hit the road in the dark. And he never held me back. Yeah, I think he was up before me most mornings getting like water going for coffee or for oatmeal. Speaking of coffee, we were sponsored by Black Rifle All the whole hunt. We did cowboy coffee like through the percolator. We were doing the flying elk roast. Um, it literally made a difference in the hunt why I'm talking about it because like I would get out of my bag as soon as the coffee was ready. Yeah. 15 minutes, such a dope setup. I highly recommend you do that. The instant coffees are fine but they're not percolated dark roast coffee or medium roast like the flying elk. Anyways, 
So, dude, his strengths were fit, on time, knew how to film, didn't, wasn't negative, was down for anything. Uh, his weaknesses were he wore Ativa mids from Crispy in steep, rocky canyon stuff, and he has feet that don't do well in stiff boots, and we were hunting country that you needed a stiffer boot. I felt like he was wearing running shoes while we were, like, I, I thought he was loud. I thought he was very, and, and this, to his defense, I hardly ever have a cameraman. I prefer to hunt by myself. When I stop to listen for anything, I don't hear crunch, crunch behind me or shifting. He also didn't understand, at least in the beginning, that if I made a vocalization, that immediately following that vocalization, I don't want you to go through your backpack or shuffle or try to get a shot. Like, be as still as possible so I can hear the teeny tiniest bugle or whatever or crunch anything and so we kind of worked that out <clears throat> and then as far as when to move when to be still we're still working on that but I think all in all I told him to his face like I said I would hire you again you exceeded my expectations so we'll get that out of the way but day one was a bust for me but day one wasn't a bust for you um, yeah so my plan I went up and um, I didn't go as high as Dan did um, I went up and tried to do a little bit of glassing. Um, so I got my pack loaded up. I'm on the dirt bike, um, cover some country. That was the evening. I went to the desert. You went to the timber. Yeah. So when I went up to the timber, I didn't... Uh, well, so I spotted a spike down in the bottom of this canyon um, right off the bat. But where it really got interesting was on my way back to camp um, in the dark. So what I was doing is I had the bike in neutral, coasting downhill, so you're not making a ton of sound. And I would stop at every like peak, and I would throw a locator out, sit there and wait, and then I'd cruise down the hill, throw another one. Um, so basically I did that probably five, six times until I got to, um, there's this big meadow that is probably 600 yards from private. Um, through a locator and got a bull to answer me right off the bat. Um, and long story short is the bull came in up to about 70 yards, but it was it was too dark. I couldn't see any of my pins, but I was just excited that day one we got bulls on public land bugling. So like I'm pumped. Yep. Yeah, so we met back at camp that night, and I was like, hey, man, I seen zero elk signs, zero. I seen a lot of camps. Uh, just my total valuation was, like, the desert ain't for me. I'm just not seeing what I'm seeing. We checked every water tank that we could, which was about eight. Saw hardly any elk tracks, ton of moo cows. You uh, almost got a shot at a bull, just couldn't see your pens. And I was like, okay, cool. So the next morning... Jake's like, I'm obviously going back to where I just had a bull come in to one bugle. I'm like, roger that. And I had an itch to scratch. James was like, you need to go into this canyon. Nobody goes in there. It's five miles down to the bottom. And then there's three or four canyons over that there's no roads in. And that's where we went. And so for Hunter's first full day of hunting with me, we did 11 miles 
and we gained 2,600 feet and we lost 2,600 feet. And he got lots of blisters and he had to get the, what's that tape called? Tenacious tape? No. No, Luco. Yeah. yeah, he got his Luco tape out, and that really saved his ass. But we actually got into a really good sounding bull late in the morning, like nine, nine thirty. Um, I had we hiked into this beautiful basin full of aspens, and it didn't have water in it, but it was just it was just beautiful country, and it was remote, and it took us hours to get there. And and uh, I did a lot of calls, and nothing answered, and I was like, man, there should be an elk here. Like this was. Like this whole country was made for elk. Like there should be elk everywhere, and I'm sure there was back when they didn't mismanage it. But, but I mean, to go from 5,000 elk down to I don't even like I saw maybe a total of 40 elk on this whole hunt, yeah. uh, and we were there for nine days. So, and that was between two of us. Well, three of us technically. Yeah. Uh, so the basically the backstory is that they gave like that. They were having a lot of conflict with cows and elk and numbers and ranching and fishing game issued something like 200 December cow tags for youth and rifle, high-powered rifle. And they did that several years in a row. And um, wouldn't you know, elk herd gone. Yeah. Uh, you kill the females and you kill them in December when they're all concentrated down on the flats. Uh, it was just a, it's just a bad deal, a bad deal for the unit. And I do think the unit might be on an up and up, but maybe not. I couldn't tell. Yeah, I, I think the total cows that I saw the whole time I was there was 10. Yeah, I'd have to add it up, but I'm pretty sure. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a number, but it's, it's less than 20. Um, so day two, we got that bull to finally answer. He sounded amazing. I figured he had cows just because like it was September and like his bugle had a lot of growl to it. And then he had a satellite, like two fingers over, piping off, squealing. I was like, oh yeah, that's gotta be a herd bull with a satellite. We worked him over pretty good for about an hour. We got under a hundred yards twice and I couldn't get him to come in. Found a set of sheds and then we did it. The bull ghosted us. Um, the last time we got into him about under a hundred, after his last bugle, he never bugled again. I couldn't get him to pipe off again. Followed his tracks as far as we could. And that, that country in there was like concrete. Like it was hard to read sign. There was no real fresh elk. I don't think he had any cows. I couldn't see sign to support that theory. So we did that 11 mile loop. I ended up finding more sheds. So I knew we were in an area people don't go when you're picking up, like, I think I picked up four or five elk sheds that day. Uh, I, I was not stoked to hike them out of the bottom. Um, I remember sending you a message on my inReach saying, hey, I'll meet you back this evening for a glass sesh. Uh, we're gonna start hiking out right now. And that was about 2.30. We made it back to the four-wheeler at black, black, dark. And Hunter was smoked. I was definitely feeling it. And uh, his feet were beat up pretty good. Your day one was kind of interrupted. Like other hunters had found those elk as well. Oh yeah. <clears throat> there was at least two guys up on the ridge above me with their wind coming down through the bottom of the draw that goes right to the private where the elk are. Um, I was kind of off to the side. Um, there's a lot of roads right where I was at. So you got like full-size trucks, side-by-sides, four-wheelers, like everybody's driving around. Um, and most of the time, 
we are usually there before most people just because we get up so early um, so you're seeing everybody driving around and you can kind of pick out where they're going um, and sometimes you can use that to your advantage if you know they're going to push them a certain way but um, that area that morning I think there was at least four to five people All on hunt, razors. hunting yeah they're on razors or four-wheelers <clears throat> but we're all hunting the same elk. Yeah. And you guys are all praying that they'll come off private and bed on public, yeah. which I think they were doing until that morning. Yeah. I would say there was a lot of stinky hunters scent that got blown down to the private. Um, and just calling that you can tell is not an elk. Yep. And basically what I think happened is those elk got educated really fast right there. So your morning was spoiled, you went up glass real high, and then you were like, dude, I gotta go somewhere where there ain't a lot of roads. Where did you end up going on full day one? Um, let's see, so I went all the way to the top. Um, there's a, a peak there that's around 11,000 feet. Um, so I went all the way to the top and glassed, walked around, um, kind of looked down. Did you get my message? That we're hiking out? Yeah. Yeah, I lied to you. We <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I was gonna say, I think I got back to camp right at dark and I was like, huh, I was like, they should be here by now. Yeah. And then when you guys came out and I met you back at camp and you told me where you were, I'm like, ooh, that's, yeah. a, that's a rough day for- I had to scratch that itch, <laughs> man. So day two, I'm convinced that that bull that we were on is gonna be back in that honey hole. Yep and ain't nobody going in there, like literally nobody. So Hunter and I, we went back up to 11,000 feet and hiked over several ridges and got to the bedroom. And we thought we beat the elk to him, got the wind right and just waited forever. Nothing, made all sorts of vocalizations, nothing. So we actually went off the backside and covered a ton of the country off there by like what I would call the radio towers or whatever, but we just bugled into every canyon, got nothing hiked all the way back and it ended up being another nine, I was nine miles. And we we actually had an evening hunt. So we went back to camp and I think you were there. And um, what we ended up doing was we made a plan for day two to go, you were gonna go to the edge of private again and see if you can catch those elk in the evening. Cause it seemed like all the hunters packed it in early. And we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the U.S. and they're veteran-owned and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag, ready-to-drinks, or check out that new Flying Elk Roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kafaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kafaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to kafaru.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is 
the fastest downloading offline maps out there as well as the most resilient bulletproof not going to crash on you when you need it most i run tracking most days while elk hunting and i found onyx to be the most reliable hunting gps app out there check it out today and finally baku e-bikes these are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters this is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting checking your tree stand trail cams getting in and out quietly i rock the mule Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. Yeah, I would say like 30 minutes before like last shooting light, they're all packing up and leaving. And that's like when I would hear the most action. Yep. Yep, so we went and we're about a thousand yards apart. You went high, I went low around water. I went down to the bottom near the fence line of private and there was two hunters cow calling um, nonstop. Like nonstop cow calls. The same tone. Ew, ew, ew. Like I, uh, it actually gave me a headache, yeah. seriously. And uh, there was water on, on public right by them and so I just hung out by the water, maybe, hoping that maybe something would come by. I was already, I already hiked into it and I was committed, nothing. And then sure enough, all the hunters drove out and then these bulls start ripping and hunters stayed back at camp to rest and to take, to dump footage and charge batteries. And I told them I wasn't coming back to camp till late. I was gonna stay up late and bugle at night. Cause that's how like that's we already got into like i don't usually do that unless i have to and i had to i felt like so you and i stayed out very late that night bugling and we got a bunch of bulls to answer us and they it sounded like they came off private so the next morning we were like okay we're gonna go hunt the edge of this pr private ranch again and i'm gonna go low you're gonna go high and then we're not gonna screw each other up i told you that i wasn't gonna make very many sounds and you said, I'm going to bugle the bulls that like my bugle. <clears throat> and that's what happened. And I bet, I'm just going to fast forward. Like we, we sat there and listened to about seven different bulls running so hard on private. You could, you had to hear it too. Oh yeah. I, I was cow calling and bugling like everything I could do trying to get these elk to come off of private and every sound that I would make they would answer me and I I couldn't see them um, I ended up running into two guys from Reno later that day that were higher on the hill and they were watching the whole thing and they said that there was two bulls sparring out there just they they counted over 30 elk just moving around um, in some of the meadows that we couldn't see but um, I had a decoy set up I had good wind Dan was down on the ridge for me I was up high and just calling and calling trying to get these bulls to come over and there's nothing more frustrating than getting elk to answer you and like they're not moving we I called it strip club elk hunting I was at the strip club I was like literally on the fence line listening to the greatest rut activity ever and they were like literally fighting and sparring and bugling and chuckling and cows were estrus and it was nuts and I, there's, we had to stay on our side of the fence. Um, so we, after a couple hours of just listening and enjoying the bugles, it was just nice, refreshing to hear some elk. We hiked out to the four-wheeler and met up with you and 
you had two bad things happen to you that morning. That's so. And by the way, this is your birthday. Yeah. Your 35th birthday. Yep. You've killed a bull on the 17th. You've killed a bull on the 19th. And you've never killed a bull on your birthday the 18th. And we were hoping that you would get the, your birthday bull. But instead, you got two other gifts. What were they? So uh, that morning, right off the bat, the hillside that I'm walking down to get to where I was calling, it's like this really crappy like shell lava rock kind of stuff. Um, in the dark with my headlamp off because when you're walking in to go call animals you don't have your lights on um, walking down this ridge I fall and like it's gonna happen like there's spots where we're hunting that you're going to slip and fall and typically the arm that I have the bow and I always try to lift up and just fall on my back or fall on the pack or whatever but the way that I slipped, I came down and landed right on my bow. Um, and I knew right off the bat I busted an arrow. Um, but in the dark, um, I turned my headlamp on so it was red, so it's not um, blinding everything um, behind this bush. And uh, knocked the arrow, drew it back, made sure my bow was cycling fine. There was no weird noises. Um, and I was just kind of committed. I was already in there. so. I'm crossing my fingers that my bow was good. Um, so that was the first thing. Um, after the whole rut fest um, session was over, and basically just getting frustrated that can't strip, get anything strip to come club. over. Yeah. So after that was over, um, I walk up to the bike, and um, I have my dirt bike parked like right behind a bush, right off of a main road where you can drive side by sides trucks you know, anything can drive up that road if, if you want to. Um, but I get to the bike. And I heard a couple side-by-sides go up. Oh yeah. So that morning. There was probably, I would say at least four or five vehicles that went by um, where my dirt bike was. Your four-wheeler was up the hill from there. Um, but basically from my dirt bike, I could look up and I could see um, kind of where Dan went over the top of this little saddle. So. I'm going to get on the bike and going to meet up with him. We'll come up with a game plan for the evening hunt. Um, it was still early. Like, I think it was before 10. Yeah. Um, but I get to my bike and I look at it and there's like broken branches on the ground. And I was like, that's kind of weird. And my front brake lever is snapped off. Um, and this bike doesn't have a headlamp or anything on it so what I did is I mounted a motorcycle battery to it uh, mounted a light bar to it um, so it's kind of a little mad maxed out but somebody had smashed my battery bracket so it was all loose and uh, you could you could tell that they were just like whacking on it with a stick until it you know busted I believe they call that vandalism yeah so somebody was salty that you were where you were and they came and assaulted your dirt bike. And I don't know, if you guys ever rode without a front brake on a motorcycle, it's not fun. Like you should brake with your front brake 80% of the time. So that snapped off. Your brackets, like, so we sent you back to camp to go get into my deck system and pull out tools. And I told you I brought an, uh, an extra brake and clutch lever and duct tape and so you MacGyvered all your stuff up and then Hunter and I we went 
I don't even remember where we went, but we went somewhere new to go try to find elk. And I know we we didn't find any elk. And um, that was that was day three, man. So day four, I'm like, I'm gonna wake up even earlier. I'm gonna drive 45 miles. I got my eyeball on this two chunks of state land that butt up against national. There's a couple water tanks nearby on public. I'm gonna go over there. And so that morning, Hunter and I are going super early. Like it's two hours before daylight and we're in the middle of this deserty, rocky road. And we see a brand new white GMC truck parked in the middle of this two track road. And the truck's turned off, the lights are off. The dudes are sleeping in the truck. And my four wheeler, I pull up and I'm like, okay. And I just kind of go off the road around them. And as soon as I get around them, their truck starts up, their headlights turn on and they literally follow us. And I'm, I'm like, that is weird. Like, were they like, I, I just don't like, are they hunting? Like they have to be hunters. So we get to the water tank just before and there's this little turn off two track roads, hard to see. And we, we take that turn off cause it's got a nice little glassy knob that you gotta hike up maybe 600 vertical feet. So we park there, hike up in the dark. And then uh, Hunter being from Virginia is like, oh, there's elk right there, hundred yards. And I'm like, really? He's like, hundred percent. I'm like, okay. And I can see the racks and like, it's just barely light. I'm like, okay, they look like all rag bowls, cool. And as it's getting lighter, the white GMC truck drives right past my four-wheeler and parks. I'm like, this is weird, man. This is some weird stuff going on. And I'm not faded. Hunter public land a long time. And as it's getting light, I glass up again those elk. And I'm like, Hunter, those are not elk. Those are giant mule deer bucks, like three 170-plus class bucks. And he was just like blown away that deer could be that big. And uh, right after that, I'm like, oh, I got elk. And they're in the flat on the state land between us and the white GMC. And I'm like, what are these guys doing? And they get out of their truck. Now it's daylight. They don't have any camo on. They have jeans on and backpacks that are not like camo backpacks. And they just start walking directly towards the elk. And I'm pretty ignorant at this point. I'm like, what's going on? And they, the elk see them and the elk turn around and run off the state land onto Floyd Lee Ranch. And then those guys walk back to their truck, get in and leave. And I'm like, did they just do that on purpose? Like what the heck is going on? Meanwhile, on the other side of the ridge, I see six bulls, seven cows rutting. And there's one herd bull running five satellites, all five points. He's running them all off. They're all trying to get with his cows. And it's incredible. And we don't have, I didn't have my phone scope. I just had my spotting scope. So I couldn't, I tried to film it through a phone, without a phone scope and it didn't turn out great. But I was like, okay, we got to get over there. Those things are still on state land. And so we jam over and we get over there and it just, they, they already went on to private. And I was like, dude, we are hunting here. I just, we've saw six bulls, seven cows. And on the other side, not very far away, we saw nine cows and two bulls. That's eight bulls and 17 cows. Like that's phenomenal. And they're on state land, at least a little bit in the morning. I'm like, we can hunt here. 
So we go back to camp and I tell you, hey, we're moving camp. Screw hunting the strip club. We're going to go down where we can hunt the elk are actually on public for a little bit in the morning. So we pack up camp. We head down there. And I said, all right, Jake, you hunt these elk tonight when they come out. We'll hunt these other ones. And so I went to where the six bulls and the seven cows and all the rut action, they went through a saddle. I figured they're going to come right back through the saddle. There's water behind us on public. We're on state land. And I see in the distance two hunters walking towards us. And as they get closer, I, I now I have my phone scope. So I'm scoping them and I'm zoomed in tight. And it's a, a really overweight like elk hunter with a bow. And then a guy without a bow and a backpack he looks like a guide. So it looks like a guide in the client. And they're walking on 318 acres of state of New Mexico land towards us. I'm like, dude, these guys are coming right towards the pinch point. I got to make sure they see us and let them know like we're already here, like find a new spot. So I come out and the sun's shining on the hillside and they're hundred yards away and they look up and they see me and they stop and they have like some sort of conversation powwow for like, 15 seconds and then they continue walking towards us and I'm like oh they're gonna like come talk to us no at about 80 yards they get into a bush that and they sit in and they get set up on the same pinch point as us and I'm like okay not 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 cool their winds blowing from them to us if any out come to to where I'm at they're gonna smell those guys uh I'll tell you what I said if we see the elk, we got 185 yards between us and the private fence line. I'll just get in front of those guys and shoot the elk before they do. Like, that's, I'm not going to go have a confrontation, confrontation. And the guide gets in the bush and starts cow calling and cow calling. And to the point where I actually started counting how many times he cow calls a minute. I did that for five minutes. It was about seven cow calls a minute. So that's 35 cow calls in five minutes, like nonstop cow calling until dark. And I'm salty, but I, I still haven't put it together. And then I'm like, wait a second, is that a USO guide? I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I thought they probably have ranch only tags. Shouldn't they be on private? And the elk are on private anyways. Why aren't they over there on private hunting them before they come on to public? Thought it was weird. Uh, what did you see that night, your first night there? Did you see any elk come out on your side? So I don't think I saw anything come out on that side. So it was the next morning when I was hunting in there. Yeah, so the next morning we, I said, Jake, you cover the herd that comes to the right. I'll cover the herd that comes to the left. We got set up in the morning and I had, right at daylight, I had two bugles and they were on private um, and they were coming to public. And long story short is I got knocked up and I had a bull at 71 yards. And I hate to, I'm not gonna sell Hunter out too bad, but I told Hunter, I'm like, all right, I can see the bull come over on my side. He kind of came over too quick. Like, I think he was pretty excited to see his first elk. And the bull totally like, picked him off and tucked tail ran on the private, taking the other six point with him. So we were done pretty early, but we did get quite a bit of bugling back and forth. and that bull was coming um i was getting close to getting a shot yeah meanwhile you're knocked up intercepting the other herd yeah so the little like just kind of a little glassy knob that we mentioned earlier um i was on that looking over at kind of where dan told me the elk would come out of and in between some of the patches of timber 
um, I saw some cows side hilling. Um, they were probably, I would say 1500 yards out. And I glassed and I could see at least three cows. Uh, and one of them was a calf. And I could see antler tips behind them. And like, we knew this unit is hard. Like, I don't even care what this bull is. I look and see the direction they're heading. I know where the wind's going. And I just say, okay, I need to intercept them at this spot uh, mentally. I just made this spot on the hillside and I just grab my stuff and I book it. And I'm keeping like sage brush or these trees in between me and them and moving up, moving up, moving up. And I basically get to probably 150 from where they are. And with my binos, I can side, you know, look side hill where they were and I could see the cows coming out and I'm like perfect so I move in I drop my pack just have my bow my bino harness and I move in and I get within 51 yards of a cow range dial arrow knocked and I'm literally waiting for this bull that is following them um, and out of the corner of my eye I look up and from private to public I can see these two guys walking through the middle of a meadow like there's no bushes close to them there's no trees close to them they're literally just walking through this field and I was like that's kind of interesting and I was I looked at it and I'm like these elk are gonna walk out and see these two guys like no question about it and I kind of had to make a judgment call. I'm like, do I sit here and wait to see if the elk give me a shot? Or do I like have to try to move in? And as I'm like trying to slip in and get closer to see if I can get a shot, I can hear the barbed wire fence like doing, like how it makes that sound when it gets caught on your pants. And they're climbing over the fence. From private to public. Yes. And I was like, you are freaking kidding me. They don't know the elk are there. They're like clueless to what is going on. They're just looking around the other direction. And I'm like looking up at them, looking over at the elk, and I'm moving in at the same time, trying to keep the hunters from seeing me and the elk from seeing me. So I move in maybe another 10 yards. I'm waiting and I can hear one of the hunters from on top go, there's elk right there. And like, as he says that, and they made some movement, there was some cattle on the hill close to them that I didn't even see, but the cattle spooked, run down the hill, right through those elk. And those elk are gone, so though. They're gone. Like, I never saw the bull come out. The cows did a 180 and ran through this like oak brush and I have no idea where they went. Yeah, dude. So your morning was blown up. My evening got blown up by the outfitters. And so I'm like, dude, we need to get online and figure out like who we bought these tags from and what ranch we get to hunt. So we did that. We went and got cell phone service, figured out that it was this 1,200 acre ranch to the north. So I spent the majority of the day over there and it was super open with the spotting scope, glassing, glassing, glassing. And I could glass for miles and I didn't see anything over there. And so we met up for the evening hunt and we were like, well, I know 
I almost shot a bull. I was knocked up. You almost shot a bull. You were knocked up. Some misfortunate stuff happened. Let's just let's just try the evening hunt on those state chunks again. And so we got there super early, like one o'clock in the afternoon or something. And we were trying to figure out like basically where can we set up to ambush? No calls, just ambush, pure ambush. And uh, Hunter's filming us, we're in the wide open, we're on state land, I'm running tracking on my Onyx to make sure. And I got set up on one pinch point, you got set up on another. Nothing came through that night. And when we're walking out towards the four wheeler, we're parked on the National Forest State fence line. Now there's a, there's a cattle fence. And so we just park on the National Forest and hop the fence and you're on state. And there's a tundra parked on the state chunk, which I don't even know how he got on that side. And he's parked right by my four-wheeler. And so I'm walking towards this truck with its lights turned off. And as soon as we get probably within 20 yards of his truck, he turns on his um, light bar, jumps out of his truck and says, I don't remember what he said exactly, but something to the tune of, I'm security with Floyd Lee Ranch. You are trespassing. We are asking you to leave. If you come back tomorrow, we will arrest you. And he's got like this handcuffs on his hip and sidearm and like some little like tactical vest. And he's wearing sick of pants, Optifade, and a black shirt. And he looks like he's in his 50s and he looks military or former law enforcement or current. And um, I'll save you guys all the details. You'll have to wait for the YouTube video. But basically, I'm like, I disagree. I am hunting state land. I did not trespass at all today. And he's like, well, we filmed you from the top of the hill. And I'm like, okay, we saw your five trucks up there filming on private. And we figured you guys were glassing elk or something. Um, we weren't sneaking around like we're in the wide open. We we're hunting pinch points. And he's like, nope, this is private. I'm sorry, you guys. Like I said, I need you to not come back tomorrow or I will call the game warden. The sheriff. He was gonna the sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff. And like, all right. And have you arrested? I was like, okay. And I argued with him and I kind of got pissed off. I probably said some bad words, but I wasn't like, oh, sorry, sir. Like, no way. Like, I'm convinced that he's like literally full of shit. And here you come to meet up with us and he says the exact same thing to you and you say bro i'm on state land it's on on x and he's like yeah but this this land is leased by my boss floyd lee you can't hunt it and then i was like wait a second you're telling me that your boss is floyd lee and that you guys lease state land for cattle rights and you also gives you the ability to decipher who can hunt state land, no way. And I was like, let's call the game warden right now. I bet you have his number on speed dial. What's his number? And he's like, I'll, I don't have the game. I don't know who the game warden is. I don't have his number. And I'm like, as soon as he said that, I'm like, I smell a rat. Yeah. And um, there was two other four wheelers parked by us. They hadn't made it out yet. And there was two other four-wheelers down the fence line. So there was like six public land hunters. Like everybody knew the elk were there. It wasn't a secret because there's not that many elk. So we're like 
jockeying for ambush spots. And it seemed like everybody was like pretty cool on how they were hunting. Nobody was calling. Everybody was set up for ambush. Yeah. So like, I don't have a problem with that. Well, these two guys from Iowa come walking up and he pulls up and just starts giving them the riot act on like how they're trespassing. And they start arguing, saying the same thing I did. I have Onyx, this is state land. I, and, and they were a little more apologetic. They're like, we would never trespass, sir. Like they were very polite. Um, and so they left and then we started talking to them and the, one of the guys was really shook up, man. Like he was shaking. Like he, you could tell he didn't like confrontation and he was really upset. Yeah. Uh, and then he began to tell us that while they were hunting, they were spread out like probably two, 300 yards apart on in little ambush spots waiting for the elk to come off private. He said, somebody from USO, United States Outfitter, came up to their buddy while he was hunting and said, hey, we're security for Floyd Lee Ranch. You're on private property, you need to leave. So he left. So now I'm like, dude, that is hunter harassment. And I'm still in the back of my mind, like 99.9% certain that I'm right. Like we are legal. Yeah, that guy was like stalking in on a bull. Like he was getting ready to make a shot. And that guy with a client like ran in between them and the elk. Yep. So the dude's trying to kill an elk and a USO guide and his client come from private and cross the fence and like scare the elk away. That is so bad. So I'm going to save you guys a lot of the details, but we basically pack up camp. I'm like in the dark. I'm like, I'm not going to hunt where there's confrontation and six other hunters and some guy pretending to be the law and a bunch of bunch of people paying for a guided hunt and coming on public land. Like this is just, this unit sucks already. What, like this is just compounding like, Let's just move. Let's just find some elk somewhere else. We can do that. So we make it to, we pack up camp and um, we, we got all packed up and I'm like, yeah, let's just spend the night and get up in, and get up in the morning, go to town and call the game warden. And that's what we did. So the next day we went to town, got a hold of the game warden and filmed, asked him if we could record the conversation. He said yes. And we found a freaking awesome game warden. He sounded like ambitious. He was like, Yes, you are legal to hunt that state land. I've called the, the, the commission, the, the state commission, that is Floyd Lee just has the cattle rights for grazing. He doesn't have hunting rights. You guys are legal to hunt there. And we asked him, we like, well, if USO is hunting there, like, do they have unit wide tags for their clients or are they, you know, ranch only? And he's like, that's a good question. I'm going to find that out. He's like, do you guys have any evidence? And I'm like, yeah, we filmed the whole thing. He's like, I need that evidence. And so we're going to give him that footage. And then he, I guess uh, I guess he came back the next day to, to see all the shenanigans. And he went and got statements from every hunter that got kicked off public land. And, um, and then I guess he even drove to the USO ranch or wherever they're keeping their hunters and talk to them and we I don't know what transpired uh, the thing I didn't like about that security guy was he was like yeah we also saw you on uh, Floyd Lee's land and I'm like dude there's signs posted and I'm running tracking and you can look at my tracking never even stepped a foot into Floyd Lee Ranch and neither did you he's like well we got he kept on saying we filmed you we and I'm like you filmed me from up on that mountain and he's like, yep. I'm like, 
dude, that mile, that's two miles away. And he's like, no, it's not. And this is all on video. And I'm like, okay, is it one mile? He's like, no. I'm like, 500 yards? Well, it's more than that. I'm like, well, dude, I don't care what spotting scope you have. You didn't film us trespass. And he was just like convinced that he did. So anyways, um, you went back to, we, we moved camp after that. And we moved to the worst part of the unit where it had no roads and it was all dry desert canyons. And we hunted there for, gosh, the next three days. I never heard a bugle, never saw an elk. And all I did was do bow hiking and lots of bow hiking. The one thing is there's a lot less people over there. So we weren't running into people. Which was nice. Yeah. But that was about it. We didn't run any elk. And then um, we figured out real quick that spot sucked. And you were like, I told you I wasn't going to move camps again. I was like, I'm just going to set water in this desert. Like, at least I won't be harassed while I'm hunting. I won't run into other hunters. And I'll finish my hunt out that way. At least I'll leave here, you know, and just. uh, So I set up a ground blind over a really good water source that had some tracks at it. I set up a couple spy point show cameras um, and I hunted there and you were like, dude, Dan, I'm going back to that state land. I know there's elk there. I know the game warden said we could hunt there. And so you packed up all your stuff and you were going to ride something like 35, 40 miles through some terrible roads and trails to go hunt. And on your way, what happened? Yeah. So I packed up my, my pack basically with enough stuff for three days. So water. I even packed extra fuel for the bike and I strapped my bow to the back. And like when your pack is that full of stuff, your bow is kind of high and, you know, sitting on the outside of your your pack. But this road is like, it it goes from a road to like a four wheeler trail to like a single track, like a dirt bike. And it's just rocky. And what ended up happening is um, some tree branches hit my bow as I'm going up and um, some more information is I don't have a clutch my clutch lever is snapped off so I'm riding without a clutch so you can't really stop on an uphill Um, and and you didn't have I brought uh, brake levers I didn't have a clutch lever no so the cable broke oh the cable broke I brought extra clutch levers all right Um, so your cable snapped you don't have a clutch on a dirt bike and you have a repaired front brake lever and your light battery is duct taped to your bike because somebody vandalized it and you just decided to go back to state land because you rode with me you didn't have your own vehicle and you're like well i can still get over there and i'll just back i'll just spike out and then a tree branch catches your bow yeah so what happened it hits my bow and i can feel it like kind of pull on my pack as i'm riding up and I'm like, crap. So I, I get to the top to a spot where I can stop. I stop, take my pack off and look. And uh, so there's two arrows left in what is left of my quiver. My quiver is snapped in half. So it's a, it's a tight spot quiver. And right where the two pieces of carbon come down to actually hold all of your arrows is snapped. So the two arrows that are in my quiver are just being held in by the broadheads in the foam. All the rest of my arrows are gone. Um, the, Did you ever find your arrows? 
I found two of them. So one was snapped. I found two. I was so worried about that because I had to come down that road on my four-wheeler. Yeah. Anyways, so you're like, your great plans um, are now not great plans anymore. Yeah, so my, my rest got screwed up. So the cable got stretched out, the spring got stretched out. So my rest is all the way up. Um, I don't know. Because you have a limb-driven rest at Trinity. Yep. Okay, and so your spring is stretched out. Yep. So your launch is all the way up. Yep. That's not good. And you don't have a quiver. Don't have a quiver. So you go back to camp. Yeah, so I, um, I have my foam pad that I sleep on and the bottom of my pack. So I grab my arrows, put them in between the foam pad where like the broadheads are in the foam so I just don't have these razor blades sticking out because yep. I don't need to fall and get stabbed. Fix your um, bow. So I put my bow back on the pack. I ride down the shitty trail to camp. I get to camp and take what's left of the quiver off, fix the cable, get the, the blade down. And I'm like, yeah, I need to make sure this thing is still shooting. And uh, uh, Dan always brings a target with him that we can shoot uh, broadheads into. So throw the target out there, send one at 20, hits right where I need to, um, back out to 40, send another one, and that hits right where I need to. I'm like, cool. So I literally leave my pack there. I know from camp there's a water source like a mile, mile and a half from camp. And I grab arrows in hand, because I don't have a quiver, bow is in the other hand, and my bino harness, and I pack some snacks in my pocket, and I just start walking. And I go to the water source and I sat there until dark and cow called and just praying that something would come in. Like I, I literally on camera recorded myself like pissed off that my bow is effed and I'm like, I'm going back to camp and I'm having a beer. Like that was the plan. That's all you needed to know. And then I roll up to camp and I'm like, F that, like I can make this work. Yep. So I made it work. And you went and sat the closest water source, mile and a half away for the evening hunt. And then Hunter and I, that evening had hiked five miles one way and found an awesome water hole. And we sat it for 20 minutes until dark. And then I'm like, hey Hunter, I wanna hike this six mile route back to camp different. And I wanna bugle in the dark. And that's what we did. And so it took us a long time to get back to camp, but I was in the dark bugling into every nook and cranny. Heard zero bugles. So the next morning is day eight of day nine. And I told you to go check out this one water tank where we had seen some elk sign. And then I told you I was just gonna go straight to the top at 11,000 feet from where we were at, which we were camped at probably like eight. So we're gonna go to 11,000 feet and try to catch that bull from day one, see if he's there. And then if he's not, we're gonna set water till dark. And that's what we did. We went all the way to the top. And my Onyx was showing that I was doing one mile an hour. That's how steep it was. One mile in an hour, and I'm not slow at hiking. Nothing, crickets. So we go back to the, the uh, ground blind. It's the hottest day of the entire season. I'm like, dude, we're gonna kill an elk. And we sat that thing till about four o'clock and I'm like, dude, there's no elk here, let's go. And so I sent you a text saying, Jake, last day is tomorrow. We're gonna go Hail Mary. We're gonna go back to 
near the state land where you can hunt it and I'll go to a couple other spots that the Nevada guys were texting me to go because the Nevada guys were really cool. One of the guys is Chris. I know him and he's like, dude, we're leaving. Here's where we got into elk. We can't hunt the last day. And I was like, all right, sweet. So we pack camp up and we drive out in the dark. We got to go 60 miles. We stopped at Pizza Hut. We all crushed our own pizza, threw away all our trash. By the way, this unit has the most litter I've ever seen in any national forest. Like, it's disgusting. Car parts, beer cans, just like random trip. Just some guy left his ice chest at camp. Yeah, it's just, it's the junkyard. And it sucks because it's just such beautiful country, especially in the mountains. But we drive after Pizza Hut, dump the trash, get gas. We go set up camp number four in the dark. And we just throw out tents. You two, Hunter and you jump in the bed. And I'm like, you know what? Tomorrow's the last day. I'm going to go night bugling tonight. I got to have something to hunt the next day. So I go on a really long ass four wheeler ride in the dark and I get back to camp at midnight. You guys are probably sleeping pretty good. Did you hear me come back? I heard you like I'm in my little one man tent like out and I remember hearing like some coyotes and then I remember going back to sleep and I remember hearing your bike roll back into camp and then like I crashed back out. Like, Yeah. So I did a big, big loop and never heard a bugle. I get into my tent and I'm just like looking at Onyx, getting sleepy, trying to figure out where I'm going to go in four hours. And I hear a bugle and I'm like, no freaking way. And then I hear another bugle and it's closer to our tent. It's 200 yards from our tent. And I'm like, sweet. I, there's my bugle. I just drove <laughs> in the dark forever. And uh, at least I got something to hunt the next morning. So the next morning we get up extra early so I slept for about three or four hours this is our last day uh, you head back over to the shenanigan USO state land competition spot it blows up on you but the thing that I liked about why you went over there is you ran into two new guys that had interactions with the United States Outfitters they did the same thing they actually these guys were on the elk and the guy, USO crossed the private public fence and ran off the elk while these guys were in position to shoot. Yep. Again! Yep. It's like, and they actually got the business card from the guy in the tundra who's claiming to be security for Floyd Lee Ranch. And on his business card, it says United States Outfitters. So he doesn't work for Floyd Lee Ranch. Floyd Lee Ranch leases it to, to George Talman United States Outfitters. So what that means is that the landowner is not hiring security for hunting. He just wants a check because he's got land that he's leasing the hunting rights to USO. So USO is paid for the rights to have their clients hunt that private land. If they have unit-wide tags, then they can hunt the public as well. If they have ranch-only tags, they have no business being on the 218, I'm sorry, the 230-acre triangle piece and the 318 rectangle piece. No business. But I don't know the answer to that, and I don't care. But these guys gave you a picture of the guy's card who ran us off and claimed to be security. I did a little internet search on this guy 
he said that he was a retired law enforcement, but it looks like he's a realtor in New Mexico. And he needs to realize this world is small. And with the internet, you can look up anybody. Yeah. So. It took you, what, three minutes? All of three minutes to find his profile picture and he's a realtor. And on the side, he pretends to be some sort of security for Floyd Lee, but he works for United States Outfitters owned by George Talman. And so your morning sucked. I went over to the burn area and I got a bull to answer and I ended up having his lead cow come over and get our wind and they bust out. So Hunter and I, we move locations we go check this other new to us area that's all northeast facing dark timber in National Forest. The elk sign in there was decent, but the elk weren't there. So then we moved spots again. We went back to the Triangle State piece because it is pretty open and there's vantages to glass into the little bedrooms of oak brush. And I was like, I'll just, like, I gotta be productive. It's the last day. And so I just stood on a vantage while Hunter took a nap Actually, I took a little nap too. Uh, and we just both glassed from two, tip, two different positions trying to see if an elk would stand up in the oak brush. I sent you a text. It didn't go out, but Hunter's did, and he got a hold of you and told you where we were. After your spot got blown up on the rectangle state piece and you ran into the guys who basically had their hunt ruined by USO, you went back to camp and you were like, I need to go find the most rugged, remote, dark timber with water and you found a spot on the map using Onyx and you're like I'm going there and then you drove to the only cell phone spot no you went there yeah you went straight there and what happened so I went, I went straight there and it's it's like 30 minutes by dirt bike and uh I get there and I start walking up this motorized trail that pretty much stops after 200 yards just because it's so much downfall in there and I walk up and I'm finding the best tracks I've seen the whole time we're in New Mexico fresh rubs I walk up probably and a swath of public land no private oh. even in near like yeah. like actual real elk country yeah beautiful aspen trees in there awesome open patches I mean it's perfect elk habitat in there and I let out some cow calls and right off the bat, I get a bull answer me. What time of day is this? 11, 11 o'clock. And uh, so I work my way up, interacting with this bull back and forth, back and forth, get to the top of this little saddle, and then I start side hilling in. And um, he would answer me to a locator bugle, and then he would answer any cow call. Um, if he chuckled and I chuckled back, he would shut up. He did not like my chuckles. Um, but I worked my way in, uh, raked one tree. He was probably, you know, within a hundred yards at that time. And uh, I got him to come in. I watched him at probably 60 yards and he's side hilling above me. I got good wind and the trail that he's on, I can see. And I range a tree for 40 yards, dial, have an arrow knocked and uh, he gets to that tree and he stops there's kind of like three small trees right there and uh, he stops I double check and I range his body click yep 40 yards and uh, I go to full draw 
because he's he can't see me i go to full draw he takes like two more steps and he's got clear vitals broadside 40 yards slightly uphill but barely and like in the back of my mind i'm like pumped like last day this is an easy shot like this elk is dead and i squeeze the trigger off break feels good and i was at i was at full draw for a little ways 40 seconds and uh so i had my finger actually on the trigger getting ready to squeeze and i'm waiting for him to step and it was long enough where i took my finger back off and kind of locked my shoulders out just holding and then when he stepped out i put my finger back on and uh sent it when i had a good shot on his vitals and uh my arrow halfway in flight i could hear it hit a branch when when i was looking through the peep at him i couldn't tell that that branch was there like i didn't see it at all and hits the branch the arrow goes over his back and he doesn't move like he kind of like keys in on where the bow sound came from and he's looking at me and i wait and he kind of goes to turn his head as soon as he started turning his head i grab another arrow and i knock it and he didn't like the movement or he didn't like he didn't like the sound and he started moving so i tried cow calling trying to get him to stop and he basically turned and was walking uphill away from me so i had i had no shot but um i chased him you know calling he would respond i would move in probably 600 yards trying to get up get to him um ended up coming back and having another bull respond and I'm like awesome I'm gonna get on this bull so I start chasing the other bull calling and then the bull that I just sent an arrow at pipes off again and starts bugling like he's coming in again oh yeah and um I really wanted to get that bull he was a small six um which it didn't care he could have been a five point I mean it's the last day and shoot anything um but I decided to go back after that bull and long story short I'm like running trying to get ahead of him trying to get high um, I thought he was to the left on this saddle so I kind of went to the right uh, my wind was coming up um, thermals were blowing that way so I kind of crest this little knob let a locator out to the left to see where he is and I hear a bark at like 60, 70 yards to the right of me. And I turn real slow and he's standing there in the open looking right at me. And I kind of slip where I'm behind a, a tree and I grab my bugle tube and I bark right back at him. And he didn't really like it and he ended up just kind of walking off slow into this deep thick stuff. And I knew by then like I can't keep up with him. Right. So he, uh, disappeared crushed my dreams that's pretty badass and so you being the great human that you are you're like dude i gotta get a hold of dan and let him know that i found a couple bulls like we can maybe work work on them tonight well in the whole unit like the whole unit we've been hunting there this whole time and like the last day i find like this mecca like best spot of the whole unit and i didn't know where you guys were at the time but i was assuming that it's not as good as where I was. So, it's a pretty safe assumption. Yeah. I, um, 
I forgot my inReach at home, by the way. So I have my cell phone. So I have to ride back to get cell phone service. Yep. I check, and uh, I got an inReach from Hunter telling me where you guys were. Um, on my way to get cell service, I ran across these three ladies that are hiking the Continental Divide that are out of water. They've been out of water for a day. And I go back to camp, get a bunch of bottles of water, get a bunch of wilderness athlete, hydrate and recovery, energy and focus, ride back to them, um, give them some water. And then I come to find you guys, right to where you guys are, and uh, kind of told you how my morning went. Yeah, so Jake is a good person because he went I don't know how many miles, but it's a 30-minute dirt bike ride to get cell phone service. Got a hold of us, or actually got our text saying where we were. Drove back, ran into the ladies, felt sorry for them because they wouldn't drink out of those cattle tanks, and they were out of water, and they were in their 70s at least. And so you went back to camp, gave them all our water, by the way, and hydrate recover. Uh, film that. That'll be cool on YouTube. I can't wait to see that. And then you proceeded to go find us, found us, told us what's up. I was out of water. And I was like, well, I got to go back to base camp and grab water. I'm like out of water today. We've already been to three spots. We've already put in 10 miles. So we went back to base camp, got set up for the evening hunt. This was it, like the Hail Mary. We rolled into your spot, got out, and I could just tell as soon as I got off the four-wheeler and made it 100 yards into the timber, I was like, oh my gosh. This unit does suck, but this section doesn't. This this is where we should have been hunting the whole time. And if I'm honest, it's only about a mile uh, from our very first camp. And we stayed at that camp for three nights, and I never heard a bugle from the camp at night. Anyways, we make it up there. We get to the saddle where you made your shot. And I'm like, all right, Jake, you go left. You go over there where those two bulls went. See if you can get one to pipe off. I'll go this way in case you see there's any new elk over here. So we split up, and I don't know, probably 30 minutes after splitting up, I get I get a bull to respond to my cow calls. And I'm on video, and I'm like, dude, I don't know where Jake is. I'm going to give him a few more minutes. If he's not here, we got to go get this bull. Well, looking back, hindsight, the, at the map, you were never going to get to us. Like we, we just went right through a saddle, and we're right there in this brand-new basin you hadn't been in yet, and there was a bull in there. So we gave it a few minutes. We never heard you, so we charged in on this bull, and um, I don't know, I got to probably 300 yards away from him without making a sound, and then I let out a couple cow calls, and I heard a cow answer me back, and then he bugled. I'm like, okay, he's got cows as a herd bull. Sweet. Um, And Hunter, man, he's never really, like, he's been hunting with me for nine days and hasn't seen, like, anything. He's heard a few bugles from the the strip club, but he ain't really, and he saw those two bulls one morning near that that basically spooked. He hadn't seen much for out. He hadn't heard much, and he was like, "Dude, that bull sounds like a dinosaur." I'm like, "Yes, yeah, he's a good one." So I looked at my map on Onyx, and I saw that he was on a shelf, and I'm like, "Dude, we're just gonna like sneak into the shelf." So we went through a meadow. I found the elk trail that led up there. We got right on it. Elk trails are quieter. We just popped right up on the shelf and we popped up and there was a cow to my right at 50. There was a cow to my left at 50 and the bull was right above. And I was like, 
If that cow hadn't been to my right, I would have never said anything. But if she kind of saw our movement and she didn't bark, she didn't smell us, we had the wind, but she just kind of started side-heeling out. And the cow next to the bull sees that, so she starts side-heeling out. And when she crosses my shooting lane, I range her at 55. And I'm like, okay, the bull's gonna follow her. So I let out a bugle, a challenge bugle. The bull answers me and I bugle over the top of him. He starts raking a tree and he's like probably 40, but I can't get a shot. He's in some thick stuff. Uh, once he's done raking and I set my pin for 55, he side hills right kind of where that cow went. And I start cow calling to stop him for a shot and he's not stopping to my cow calls, which is really weird. And then fortunately you bugle from wherever the hell you're at way back there and he stops and he bugles at you. What I should have done is ranged him one more time while he was there, but I figured he was on the same trail as the cow at 55 and he's cording away. So I pulled back, settled, kept pulling and my shot broke and it sailed right over the top of his back and he takes off running towards his cows. And I think there's three cows total. And they go to the next little shelf and he's bugling at you again. So we walk over, I just wanna see, make sure, I thought I missed, but I wanna like just make sure. So I find his tracks where he dug in. I can't find my arrow, but he's bugling. And I'm like, dude, I didn't shoot him. He's still bugling. Let's go over there. So we literally run over to the next shelf and he's up probably, I don't know, a hundred yards on top of a shelf. We can't see him, but it's flat up there. So I let out like a handful of cow calls and he just 180s and comes over the top and pops out on the cliffs. And I range him and he's, he's within my effective range. I click him again, I got him, I dialed down to it. And he's sitting there and he's just looking straight at us. And Hunter's like, I can't get him on camera and I'm like, at this point, I'm just like, dude, do what you gotta do. So Hunter's gotta move while he's staring at me, but I'm like, whatever. Hunter gets into position and the bull kind of sees that movement and he turns broadside and I cow call, he stops. I pull back and this is a little bit longer shot than I'd like to take, but it's not a shot that like I would even second guess, especially with him broadside in the middle of a cliff, just perfectly broadside. So I'm just settling the pin and pulling and pulling and boom, the shot breaks and the arrow takes off. And as I shoot, he starts to turn away from the arrow and walk and the arrow just goes right into him. And I see the arrow go in. I can't tell exactly where it went in, but it goes in somewhere quartering away. And he just jumps a couple steps and runs up the mountain. And then I see my arrow break off and come out. And he goes up into the trees and side hills over. And so I'm like, dude, we gotta run up there real quick. I don't think I got a good shot on him. So we go up there and we get to the shot and there's blood immediately everywhere. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I hear him bugle, cause you're bugling. And now I'm like, kind of confused. I, I, I had a moment of confusion. I was like, well, wait a second. If I just shot this bull and there's this much blood right here, he wouldn't be bugling. That's probably a different bull. We got to stay with the blood. Hindsight is that was the bull I just shot. He did just bugle twice at you. Um, we probably could have got one more arrow in him. Yeah. 
But instead, I elected to stay with the blood. So we started following the blood. The blood was amazing. It was pouring out everywhere. We get over to where he bugled. And where he bugled was probably, oh, I don't know, a truck stall mat size of blood puddle. And in the middle of that bright red blood was pink foam, like the size of a pie plate. And then two yards later was another truck mat size of red blood with another pie plate of pink foamy blood. And I'll be honest, I was like, oh, this bull is dead. He's dead man walking. So he doesn't bugle again after that and we just follow the blood. Well, bro, we follow the blood and I was walking at a pace like I would be normally walking, like just fast. And the bull's on contour and he's with his three cows and they're side healing. And we're literally walking going blood, blood, like we stopped saying blood. It was just like follow the tracks and look for blood and it was blood everywhere. It's pouring out of the wound and it looks like it's pouring out of his nose. You know? Yeah, because it's right in the center of the trail. Yep. yep. I'm gonna make this quick. We followed him for probably two miles, never changing elevation. Side hilled, side hilled. He wrapped around that basin and into the next basin. And by the time we thought we were about to catch up with him, it got dark. So we kind of stopped, we didn't want to spook him. Hung out for about a half hour and then I heard a crash. And I looked at Hunter and I'm like, dude, my bull just died. So we gave it 30 more minutes, Turned. I got my really bright, um, LED lenser headlamp on that thing is like a spotlight and I'm looking for blood and I can't find any more blood like none and we looked for probably an hour and never found blood and I was like all right man we need to get back to Jake he doesn't know what the hell's going on doesn't have an in reach don't forget your in reach folks so we are like all right let's go down to where the crash sound was we'll just grid find the bull if we don't find him we'll back out come in the morning we grid it no blood no bull we had to hike back to the four-wheeler. I'm running tracking. It was 10 miles when we got back to you. You were at the machines with a fire going because it got cold. And you had gotten our tech. Somehow you'd gotten self-service. You went back to the machines, rode my four-wheeler looking for us, got self-service, got my tech saying, jot the bull, I think it's only one lung. And we decided to go back to camp sleep for a couple hours and so that was the last day of the season now it's september 25th hunter's plane is in the air at 2 40 p.m so we do some serious calculations and we're like okay if we leave camp we can go look for this bull if we find this bull jay can run hunter two hours to the airport i'll start packing meat jay can come back and get me if we can't find the bull, if we can't find blood, we have to we have to leave at 10 a.m. and Hunter will have just enough time to catch his flight. Well, we get up early, we ride the four-wheeler dirt bike, we get over there, we get back to last blood. You guys go grid where we heard the crash sound for probably two hours. Yeah, yeah we covered a lot of that country. I mean, down the drainage, side healing. I did a three-mile grid and I went back to Last Blood and it was 9.30 when I was back to Last Blood and I was like thinking, okay, this bull went a mile and a half, never changed elevation, there's a saddle right there, I bet he crossed the saddle. And I start hiking to the saddle and I hear you whistle and you're out in front of me and I didn't know you were there and you're like, hey, I got blood. I'm like, sure enough, 
look at my watch. It's 10 a.m. So we basically miscalculated. We're like, okay, we can stay one more hour. And if we don't, you know, if, if we find good blood, I'll stay looking for the bull and we'll still get Hunter out. Well, you found blood and it was good blood for about 150 yards. And then it dried up right before the saddle. And there's a million elk trails through the saddle going every which way. So you stayed hands and knees looking for blood. Me and Hunter were like trying to cover ahead of you every elk trail. Cause the blood, when he, when you find blood, it's like blood, 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 blood. Like he's still bleeding. Um, but, and he was coughing up blood periodically the whole time. Like you'd go drip, 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 cough, drip, 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 cough. And his cough would put out like a little pie plate of lung blood or not lung chunks though, just bubble blood. And um, we ran out of blood again. And we looked and looked and looked and it was 11 a.m. And I'm like, guys, we gotta either call the search off or I gotta stay. And we decided that like the bull is probably not dead. And so we hiked back to the four-wheeler, rushed back to camp, tried to load everything up. I drove as fast as I could to the airport. We got Hunter to the airport at 2.18. Well, I think we did some math before we left and like from where last blood was to your shot, it was like what two and a half two and a half miles he never bedded down and i've never seen like i've never really shot an elk in one lung before but i've heard of guys doing it and the and the elk living um i just thought with all that lung blood like he would probably like either go into shock lay down um or at least we'd bump him and that none of that ever happened so we went back to the airport 218 dropped off hunter got a text at 2.20 as we left the airport saying they won't let me board my flight. I have to stay another freaking day in New Mexico, which is on my dime, which sucks that he has to waste another day away from family. He's already been gone way too long. He was so cool about it though, man. And then so Hunter had to stay and then this morning, we're still driving home, got a text from Hunter saying his flight got delayed five hours so we're 45 minutes from my house right now and i think hunter's just now boarding a plane in new mexico yeah. on his way to virginia That's that actually. dude was a freaking trooper man yeah we dropped him off went and talked to your buddy and his wife yeah i went and saw the bark myers and then drove home yeah. and we haven't stopped driving we've been trading off driving and sleeping so i've got four hours of sleep Tonight, last the night before and the night before, I'm running on very little sleep. Um, oh, lots of caffeine. And I tell you what, man, if you look at my Onyx, I, like I said, I've covered that whole unit. Um, so hindsights, let's just like lessons learned. Number one, September's so precious to me, I can't waste it on a unvetted shitty landowner tag like I'm, I'm glad I got to go elk hunting but I actually would have had more fun just going with somebody else and calling for them than having all that hunting pressure all that low density of elk and then all that USO stuff that I've heard they do and now I've seen them do it's just terrible and I don't want to call game wardens and stuff and and see other hunters like upset and harassed like so many hunters got harassed it wasn't like just us. So hindsight, I'll never go back to that unit ever in my life, which is 
which is why I would say the name of the unit because you shouldn't either. And locals, if you're upset that we're blasting your unit, there's nothing to blast. It's it's a tough hunt. It can be done. I should have killed that bull. Um, just the arrow didn't get to the bull in time and he moved. And it was a little bit on the long side of a shot, but definitely nothing I would like flinch. I would never flinch at that distance. And uh, stuff happens, man. You got a shot and I got a shot. Actually, I got I missed and hit him all on the same day, all in kind of the same general area. So maybe if we'd been hunting that area from day one, it would have been a different story. Maybe those elk moved into that area after all the pressure. That's my suspicion. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we would have heard bugles from our camp. It wasn't very far from there, the first camp. Um, I learned that Hunter uh, had a great attitude and he tried hard and that's all that mattered to me. Uh, I know you tried your best. You had your bike vandalized. You fell on your bow. You had a tree break your limb. I mean, break your rest and break your, uh, and literally break your quiver. It just goes to show, always pack a backup bow. Um, and we hunted so hard. I, I literally, I don't have any regrets. I tried my best. Dude, we were grinding every day. Like we knew going into this that it was a hard unit. We knew that it was going to be a struggle. I don't think we expected to deal with the stuff that we dealt with. Yeah, I don't like talking to game wardens. I don't like having confrontations with people and arguments over land. And uh, yeah, so I just burned nine days of September that I can't get back in an area that wasn't very productive. Uh, so to me, I don't know, man. I, I got to rethink a little bit, be a little more selective. Maybe I'll get a Wyoming or a Montana tag next year or an Idaho tag. Uh, yeah, so that is this podcast, guys. Uh, appreciate you listening. I think people enjoy hearing guys like me with who have a lot of time struggle. It's not, it's not easy. Elk hunting's not easy. Despite what you see on social media, there's not a six point around every tree on the public land ranch. You're going to, you're going to have to grind for it and it's never going to come easy. And that's why we do it. If it was easy, it wouldn't be as rewarding. So I'm excited to see my family. God bless my wife who's been at home with two kids for basically two and a half weeks. Insane. And so I owe her big time. She understands like she understands what that I do this for work as well. And that's probably the only reason I get to do as much as I do, to be honest. With kids. It's just so much harder. I, I hunted this much when I didn't have kids. But, you know, my wife's very gracious. God bless her. And um, where, where are we going from here, man? Uh, so the whole way home, like, we've been scheming since yesterday. I mean, we drove all night, but we've been talking about our next hunt already, planning um, where we're going to be base camping, what we're doing for food, how we're getting there, how we're going to get elk out. Like, we're not, like, letting this hunt, like kick us and keep us down like we're already planning the next time well we have a hunt in five days from now and it's completely opposite there's no roads where we're going we're doing a full backpack backcountry elk hunt we're gonna hunt off our backs if you run into people just keep hiking don't worry about roads and and we're it's gonna be an awesome hunt and i'm, a, I'm looking forward to it man like i just want to get away from 
nonsense. I just want to have some pure elk hunting. You know what I mean? And I haven't elk hunted uh, too much in October with a bow. Early October, and I'm looking forward to this hunt. It'll be good. All right, guys. So sorry for the background noise. We are on interstate the whole time. But if you can be okay with that, I appreciate I appreciate that a lot. I appreciate your support. I know you have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for listening to this one. Remember, separation will always be in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the Oak Shape Podcast. Uh, hopefully, I'll keep you posted on kind of what shakes out. Uh, am I in a position to like be worried about you know maybe some of these outfitters getting mad trying to sue me or something? I don't know. I'm just recording a podcast and recording my observations and sticking sticking to the truth because the truth is always enough and sticking with the facts and hopefully some good will come out of this. I personally will never ever go back to that unit and it might even be a while before I go back to New Mexico I'm still pretty salty I don't like driving past Oregon Idaho Montana Wyoming to head down that far to experience that it's just not worth it I'd rather hunt some over-the-counter crappy unit in the backcountry and not have to check you know watch my six not have to worry about any of that kind of nonsense so did you guys experience anything like this Did you guys experience something that you just feel like was an atrocity, something that wasn't ethical? Stand up for yourself, man. Reach out. Try to, you know, everyone's got a cell phone. If you see something bad happening, film it. Uh, Get it on tape. Get it to the authorities. Get it to whoever. But at the end of the day, uh, I appreciate you guys tuning into this podcast. You have a lot of options. Thanks for choosing ours. Appreciate your support. Separation will always be in the preparation. And that's what I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep my head down grinding. Once uh, I get back from my next hunt, we'll do a recap on that one. Uh, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a whirlwind, and uh, I'm gonna keep grinding and working hard, and hopefully get a shot opportunity and make the best of it. Thank you guys. Have the best week ever. God bless you all.